Hello, and welcome to the Talking Techniques podcast, the show that brings you the latest from the frontiers of life science, straight from the people exploring them. I'm your host, Biotechniques Digital Editor, Tristan Free, and in this podcast, I'll explore the latest developments from across the life sciences, speaking to leaders in their field and people who can provide new perspectives on established topics, while examining how we can advance in the most ethical and progressive ways. Today, I am joined by two experts from Fosion Technology, Jay Pasquantonio, Head of Strategy, Product and Technology Management, and Teresa Thompson, Application Scientist and Engineer, to discuss the company's exciting new UV LEDs for disinfection. We will be exploring the capabilities of these LEDs, getting tips for the best practice when utilising them, and discussing their potential applications in protecting against SARS-CoV-2, the virus responsible for COVID-19. Please, can you introduce yourself, Jay, and uh, and tell us a bit about Fossian? Certainly, Justin. So, my name is Jay Pasquantonio. I'm the uh, head of strategy for our life sciences division at Fossian. Uh, my background is in biomedical engineering, and I've worked for uh, several major medical device and life sciences companies in the past uh, couple of decades. Um, at Fossian, um, the life sciences side of the business is relatively new. Um, we've been doing life science products for the past five years. Um, prior to that, the uh, core business of Focion was in ultraviolet LED curing so for printing technology and uh, coatings and adhesives using ultraviolet LED lamp system to print and cure ultraviolet uh, sensitive inks and coatings. Um, there was a natural transition or addition to the life sciences business um, from that UV curing business as UV LEDs became available in deeper UV wavelengths from 250 to 300 nanometers. These wavelengths are particularly useful for things like analysis of proteins and biomolecules, as well as inactivation or disinfection of microorganisms. Okay, and Teresa, can you tell us a bit about your role? My name is Teresa Thompson. Uh, I am the application scientist uh, at Fosion and spend a good deal of my time working on um, direct applications for UV uh, LED and UV and UVC light, as well as uh, specifically for inactivation and uh, essentially killing of microorganisms of various types, uh, including fungi, bacteria, and viruses. Uh, I'm particularly interested in uh, the effects of uh, UVC-specific wavelengths, as well as intensities and how to manipulate them and get as much of a, a kill as possible in any type of microorganism system. Okay, and and when you're using um, these these LEDs for, for disinfection, are there some parameters that you need to consider to get the best results? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, there's a few parameters that you need to worry specifically about. Normally, up to now, uh, people have been using UVC bulbs, uh, various types of UV, uh, UV bulbs, either a broad spectrum or a narrow spectrum. And uh, generally, germicidal UV has been a 254 uh, nanometer uh, wavelength that they've been using from the bulb. 
this is not precisely what is necessary, but has been effective for killing microorganisms. Now, the difficulty here is that you can affect both uh, proteins and you can affect nucleic acids. Uh, the 254 is generally uh, effective at the nucleic acid level and interferes with uh, replication and causes breaks in the backbone and tiny dimers and, and things that basically deform the nucleic acid and prevent it from functioning properly in the cell. One thing that we have noted and that we have uh, emphasized is that it's not just wave one wavelength that's effective. Uh, there is uh, an effect at 220 nanometers. There's an effect at uh, approximately 265 nanometers. And there's one at approximately 280. Uh, the one at 220 is specific to protein uh, and generally affects the uh, peptide bond. Uh, the one at 265 is generally affecting uh, the nucleic acids and their structure. Uh, the one at 280 is generally uh, is attacking the disulfide bonds and uh, the aromatic uh, side chains on, on the amino acids. So with the addition of, of the, uh, these three wavelengths that we have available to us, Bozion has looked particularly at the 280. Uh, and LEDs have a relatively broad wavelength range. Uh, they're usually plus or minus 5 to 7 nanometers, which means that using a 275-nanometer uh, LED, we are actually being able to target things at 280 and then down uh, into you know, the high 260. Uh, this allows us to hit both some of the uh, nucleic acid targets as well as hitting the protein targets. What we found is that with this particular combination, as you increase the intensities, we're able to approach a much better, uh, I won't say sterilization, but disinfection level. Okay, and do you have LEDs available um, that cover all of those wavelengths of light that you measured, that you mentioned just then? Yes, Tristan, we do. Um, so the primary wavelength of LED that we use for disinfection and decontamination is, as Teresa mentioned, uh, a high 270s, 275 to 278 range LED. Um, and like she mentioned, it hits that sweet spot between the broad absorption uh, peak for both protein and the and some of the nucleic acids. Um, so it, it splits the difference, but gets both. Um, the other nice thing about those LEDs is that they are really powerful um, for the UV range. Um, they, they're very strong. We can reach very high intensities in the uh, five to maybe even seven watt range with lamps, um, which for the UV is extremely rare. Um, and part of Teresa's findings has been that previous technologies were limited to about 300 milliwatts per square centimeter of intensity, and under that range or below that uh, 300 milliwatt range, the response to intensity is fairly linear, and so dose is what's typically used to determine um, the effectiveness in that range. However, as you get above 300 milliwatts per square centimeter, you go into a nonlinear range where higher intensities are more efficient at inactivation. Um, this is some key research that, that Teresa has, 
has done over the past several years. And that has a huge implication. Previously, the attitude was, if you put out some UVC light, all that matters then is time. You just need to treat for a certain amount of time and you'll reach your effective dose. However, in that nonlinear range from 300 milliwatts up into the several watt range, the higher your intensity, the lower the dose required in order to reach an effective dose. And so that means that those higher intensities are much more efficient at inactivation of microorganisms. The other wavelengths that are relevant are, as Teresa mentioned, the 255 and 265 wavelengths. Those are very um, those are also very effective. If you want to avoid damage to protein, then you can bias a system more towards those lower wavelengths of 255 or 265 and reduce the amount of absorption and damage to proteins. And there are some applications where that might be desirable. Likewise, the flip side to that, you can bias your uh, system more on the higher side of that range towards 280, 290, and just affect proteins, avoiding damage to nucleic acid. So there are some, there are some things that you can do there to customize the uh, design of a system to your desired result. And I want to take a moment to talk about 220 nanometers. Um, a lot of people are very excited about 220 nanometers because it shows uh, some good efficacy in early uh, studies against especially protein. And it has a better theoretical safety profile than those higher wavelengths in the 255 to, to 290 range for humans. But the issue with 220 is right now there aren't a whole lot of viable options for a system. We make a 220 nanometer laser, not an LED, a solid state laser that is really good for analytical function. So things like chromatography and fluorescence. But because it's a laser, it has a very small beam and that really doesn't help for treating an area or a volume with UV light. And so it's not really suited to disinfection um, unless you're only going for about a millimeter of air, square of area. Um, there are UV LEDs that have been developed in research labs that are in the range of 218 to 230 nanometers, but they're extremely low power in the microwatt, uh, single digit microwatt range. And that's not viable for disinfection. Um, the other thing is, like I said, they're only available from research labs at this point. They aren't available commercially. And so it's probably the better part of a decade before those kinds of diodes are going to be uh, available for practical use. Okay, so could you, any of your products be used to, to protect against SARS-CoV-2? Uh, it's obviously incredibly topical at the moment, and any application that we have at the moment that could help in the fight against this would be very much appreciated. Um, so is there a potential application of your disinfecting UV LEDs um, against this virus? The short answer is yes. Um, the somewhat longer answer with a little bit of a caveat uh, is that we have tested our uh, system and our uh, UV LEDs against various uh, bacteria, molds, uh, and viruses. And we have uh, seen, we have demonstrated inactivation. Now, the difficulty here uh, 
is that inactivation is going to be dependent upon which organism you're actually targeting. Uh, so you have to do the tests against specific organisms. We've seen very encouraging results uh, against uh, viruses, and we have some results against uh, influenza virus. Um, structurally, the coronavirus is somewhat different, but one of the main structural features is the large um, protein spikes that uh, extend along the outer surface of the virus, uh, which is exactly what it gets its name from, where it looks like the corona around the virus. Uh, these protein spikes will, uh, will, as a matter of chemistry, be susceptible to the 280 wavelengths that we've been using for disinfection. We expect that this would work extremely well. We're finding inactivations of uh, some of the more difficult organisms that we've been working with. One example is a bacterial spore. Uh, where we've got a, a five-log reduction in basically infection in 18 seconds, which is really, really fast uh, for cleaning up a, a high concentration of bacteria. We expect similar results with, with the coronavirus uh, when that can be tested. Uh, we have very fast uh, and uh, effective inactivation of the flu virus. It's a matter of being able to uh, test in a system that actually looks like COVID-2. One issue that I'd like to point out here is that when you talk about disinfection and sterilization, sterilization is a, it has a very specific meaning. Um, sterilization means that you are doing a six-log reduction, so 999999 <laughs> six, six nine. Uh, you're decreasing the amount of, of uh, organism by that percentage. Uh, normal cleaning products will give you 999 .9, uh, or you know 99%. You know what we're trying to do and what we're able to do with microorganisms and UV light is many times uh, what's achievable with normal cleaning, uh, and we're having quite a bit of success uh, disinfecting surfaces with our systems. I just wanted to address one. Uh, one addition to what Teresa said. Um, like she said earlier, one of the great things about UV light is it's fairly organism agnostic because instead of trying to target some specific feature of the organism, it's going right after chemical bonds that are common to all organisms and biomolecules. So, at certain wavelengths, you're going after the nucleic acid sequences. And those organisms have those nucleic acid sequences, whether you're talking about something like a virus or a blue whale. Um, and the same thing on the protein side. Um, there are proteins with disulfide bonds and aromatic rings in every organism, again, from a virus to a giant sequoia. So you're really going after the basic building blocks of life. And the, um, the, quest, the only question that remains is how much dose and how much intensity. So that's why we have a lot of confidence that once we figure out the dose, that this will be effective against SARS-CoV-2. And uh, do you have an idea of um, of which wavelengths you think would be 
particularly potent at targeting um, the CoV-2? Do you think you would be looking at using ones that would target the nu nucleic acids over the proteins? I know there's been a lot of research into the into the spike protein. Perhaps if that could be disrupted, um, it might bear fruit. Um, is is that something that you've um, given much thought to? Uh, actually, yes. And the wavelengths that I think we should that we should choose and pursue first would actually be the 275-278 targeting the protein. Uh, one of the reasons is that that particular LED has an advantage. It is much more powerful and you can get uh, a lot more, uh, a higher density of energy directed to your target. Uh, inactivation would uh, then be faster. Uh, we've demonstrated this on some targets already. Um, the inactivation is faster. You have much more control uh, just because you're using a, a higher power source. The lower the wavelength for the LEDs, as Jake mentioned with the 220s, the lower the possible power output. Now, over time, uh, we expect that the technology may improve. But right now, the best way to go is to use the 280. Uh, the only thing I would add is, is that Therese is right. Going after the protein for SARS-CoV-2, looking at its structure, is a, is a recommended strategy. Um, the reason why is because the nucleic acids that SARS-CoV-2 has are RNA. And while you can affect RNA with those lower uh, wavelengths, 255 to 265, RNA is less susceptible to disruption than DNA is. Um, DNA is very susceptible to disruption. All you have to do is basically jam the zipper and it can no longer propagate or encode proteins. Whereas RNA involves um, causing a uh, basically a link between two sections of the single strand, which can be harder to achieve. Uh, I just want to ask: Have you got any plans to test on the actual virus um, anytime soon? I know it's um, very difficult to study as you need a biosafety level three or higher lab um, to study it. Do you have any access to that that level of um, that level of safety lab, or have you got any collaborations that you might be able to utilize to uh, to study the, the actual virus? Short answer is yes. Um, we've been approached by a, a uh, governmental agency um, in uh, Europe to work on a system that uses multiple wavelengths to do mass disinfection. It's still very early, so I can't talk a whole lot about the details, but um, there's ongoing collaboration in that area. Okay, fantastic. Um, so to look at the the sort of practicalities of how you would actually start implementing these UVs to protect against um, against the coronavirus, um, can you use them to treat a whole room? The short answer is yes, but you probably wouldn't want to. And the reason is because UV light um, decreases in intensity by the square of the distance. So by the time you're, for example, 20 centimeters out from the light source, you've reached an extremely low intensity level. And as Teresa talked about, that intensity level is critical for effectiveness. And so if you just put a light in the middle of a room and tried to reach all of that room to disinfect it, you're not going to have a whole lot of uh, 
you might get 10 or 99% reduction if you treat it for a very long time. But because the intensity level is very low by the time you reach the far distances of the room, you, you know, it's not very practical. The practical way to go about it would be to have a system that treated specific high-touch surfaces, something like a handheld or robot-driven um, system where you could get very close to critical surfaces like doorknobs, like uh, bed rails, like high-touch surfaces, um, and that could be effective. It still is going to take quite a bit of time to treat a room that way. And so that's why I say you probably don't want to try and treat a room that way uh, because it's just very uh, labor-intensive to do it that way. One of the things that uh, we were considering was uh, light switches and, as Jay said, high-touch surfaces. Whole room treatment, there would be a small, a very small benefit uh, if you radiated around the whole room. But the other thing to keep in mind is that UV is going to be a line-of-sight technology. So even if you have a large set of uh, UV lights in a room and you're going to try to irradiate the room, anything in the way between that light and either the wall or the opposite side of something, that, the opposite side of the bed, the opposite side of a chair, isn't going to get treated. And that's something to keep in mind with any of the UV systems is you have to be line of sight. Another caveat is there have been several studies that have shown really great um, efficacy for upper air, uh, upper room air treatment using different technologies, UV being one of them. Um, that's great for airborne pathogens. Um, the most common one that you see um, studies for for upper room air treatment is Legionella, but um, that's probably a more useful application than going in and trying to treat a whole room. Okay, um, sorry, so you've just, you mentioned upper room air treatment. That's, uh, it's not a, a phrase that I've heard before. Is that literally what it sounds like? Yes, so um, it involves uh, basically a fan for circulation. So you're, you're pumping air from the room through a, essentially a reactor, a UV reactor that's buffered, buffered from the rest of the room so the UV light doesn't really escape. Um, and potentially affect the occupants of the room. Um, and eventually, all of the air in the room gets processed through that. So it's kind of a statistical effect where eventually you get all the air pumped through the treatment zone. Okay, fantastic. Thanks very much for uh, explaining that to me. Um, so when when utilizing um, these, these UV LEDs, um, do you have any tips for best practice? Are there any sort of safety precautions that you need to take or pitfalls that you might fall into when using them that might mean that you don't get the best results? Okay, there's a few things. Um, let's first start with safety. You need to protect your eyes. You should avoid being exposed, having your skin exposed for long periods of time. Um, you can get things like, you know, a really bad sunburn, uh, depending on what wavelengths that uh, you're exposed to. Um, particularly with the types of and, and the intensities of UV that are being 
so much more powerful than what you think of with like a small little UV bulb that you might wave over your phone. You have to be much more careful about what, uh, how you're exposed to it. One of the things that we have is we have an instrument that we refer to as a key pro, uh, and it is an enclosed chamber where what you put in the chamber is then scanned and exposed to UV, and you're completely protected because you're outside the chamber and there are filters to prevent the light from getting out to you. And this is, a, this is useful for treating uh, small pieces of equipment. Uh, we've done 96-well plates in there, various pieces of lab equipment that you, know, you need to clean up. But we also have free space lamps, and those, those free space lamps, uh, they can be larger than what's available in, in the Pro because it being a chamber, it has a limited size. Uh, and you can direct those where you want them at whatever surfaces you need to disinfect. You need to keep in mind the distance from the surface and how intense that light needs to be. In order to disinfect, you really need to have a fairly intense light, and uh, we have some guidelines you know, that we can certainly provide for anyone that's interested that go into, you know, what some distances are useful. But you always need to make sure that you keep yourself protected and the people who are in the room are likely to be in the room protected, um, you know, just by posting that it's in use and so everyone knows uh, to, to protect themselves in the area. I'll just add a little bit to that in um in the area of materials compatibility. So um, UV light can affect polymers, glasses, metal, those kinds of surfaces are completely compatible with UV light. But when you start getting into polymers, there, there are some polymers that are very compatible and there are some polymers that are unfortunately very susceptible to damage from ultraviolet light at both the lower wavelengths that we were talking about as well as in the UVA range and UVB range between 300 and 400. So some materials that we've seen are really compatible are silicones and floral polymers. Um, most of the polyolefins like polypropylene and polyethylene are pretty compatible. But when you start getting into uh, PVC or polystyrene, those materials, especially in unpigmented uh, form, are pretty susceptible to damage from ultraviolet light. Okay. And um, so where do you see the field of UV LED um, disinfection in, the, in five years' time? You, you mentioned the potential um, development of 220 nanometer from a laser into a potential LED application. Is there anything along those lines that you think um, will, will come to fruition in the next five years? Not really. Um, <laughs> so for 220 nanometers for, for LED applications, I think we're still most of a decade, if not a full decade, out from those reaching commercial viability. Um, there's still a long way to go in development for those to be, uh, to be viable. Um, what I will say is, the Teresa mentioned the KeyPro product. What I think um, is going to happen in the next several years is we're going to see it being used more and more in R&D and production of vaccines. Um, we have a couple of customers who are already using it for viral inactivation and 
activate viruses to make them non-infectious, but retaining the features that allow it to be recognizable. Um, and that's a huge advantage in vaccine development and in laboratory research. Um, we've seen customers use Keypro to knock down extremely high concentrations of virus, uh, 10 to the 7th to 10 to the 9th um, uh, particles per milliliter, extremely high concentrations, and they've been able to completely inactivate those concentrations of viruses. I expect it to be used far more widely than it is at the moment, uh, particularly with the development of the higher intensity lamps that we have available. The applications start increasing because the amount of time necessary to do treatments, say, between a manufacturing batch or between experiments in a lab starts decreasing to the point where why wouldn't you do it um, as a safety measure and, as to make sh and to make sure that you're not going to cross-contaminate. We're already at the point where some of our lamps can be used in continuous processes, uh, conveyor belt processes, where we can treat the target material with UV light in seconds. And so uh, that's reaching the point where you can start doing a continuous process for uh, disinfection or decontamination. Fantastic. Um, well, that brings me to the end of my questions. Um, thank you both so much for joining me. And um, thank you to all of those at home or at work who are listening to this podcast. Um, I hope wherever you are, you're safe and well. Uh, if you would like to hear more of our podcasts, you can find them in the podcast section of our website. And uh, join us next time for the next episode of the Talking Techniques podcast. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and goodbye.